the tallest tree. Good morning. Try it again. Good morning. There we go. Grab a seat. This is, uh, we're into the second week of Advent here. Uh, last week we lit the candle of hope. This week we light the candle of peace. Last week we talked about um, Zechariah and his encounter with the angel that led to the birth of John the Baptist. We talked about the longing for hope, a longing that we all still feel. Uh, we talked about the nature of God. Chris, are you working on that? Because that sounds really kind of, I'm sounding really powerful up here, and it, that's a little scary. We'll figure it out. We also talked about the nature of who God is just by looking at the name he gave to the guy that was going to lead the way for the Messiah. He gave him the name John, which means God is gracious, that this was the voice, this was the thing that God wanted to communicate, even through the prophetic voice that would bring the Messiah. And we talked about how God sends hope in flesh and bone, which looks a lot like you and me, right? That's the way hope comes into the world is through flesh and bone, through us. Well, this week, the candle of peace, we come to one of the most familiar stories, probably the second most familiar story that happens at this time of year, that Gabriel coming to visit Mary to let her know that she's going to have a baby and name him Jesus. It's a common story about something that's very, very uncommon. And I'll be honest, it's always a challenge to preach because you've heard it before. You've heard it almost every year. Heard it over and over. But there are some amazing things in the text, and, and, and really what I'm seeing is in this text there are some road signs that I would call for the pathway of peace. How, how do we move toward peace and what God is doing in the world? I'm going to ask Kim Teeson. We're going to read Luke 1, 26 to 38, and Kim Teeson's going to come read it. There she is. Luke 1, 26 to 38. The birth of Jesus foretold. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think of what the angel could mean. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be very great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. Mary asked the angel, But how can this be? I'm a virgin. The angel replied, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby to be born will be holy, and will, he will be called the Son of God. What's more, your relative Elizabeth has become pregnant in her old age. People used to say she was barren, but she has conceived a son and is now in her sixth month. For the word of God will never fail. Mary responded, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. And then the angel left her. Thanks, Kim. We have this second appearance in the first part of Luke of the same angel, right? Same angel, but a very different story. 
Gabriel shows up um, six months later. But other than that, the comparison of last week's text and this week's text couldn't be more different. Last week, he shows up to an old priest in the temple. This text shows him coming to a young and unmarried woman. Opposite ends of the spectrum there. Mary is the total opposite. A young girl, most likely, from what we know, in her teens, uh, pledged to be married, but not married yet. Like that, the, this engaged is a little bit stronger than what we say of engaged right now. When you were betrothed or pledged in, in this culture of this time, it was as good as married. You actually, to end the betrothal, you would have to file for a divorce. Divorce proceedings would have to happen. So, but they weren't actually together as man and wife yet. But there she is. She's far from the temple. As far as we know, she's probably in her own home when she receives this vision. We don't know for sure. But there is a similarity. Mary, like Zechariah, was afraid. She was told not to fear because she was going to have a son. For Zechariah, this was great news. You're going to have a son. But think about the young teen virgin betrothed to be married. It, it, you're going to have a son has a little different ring to it in those years, right? But not to worry because her son was going to be called son of the most high God. He was going to sit on the throne of his ancestor David, which means he was going to be a king in the Davidic line. And, and the wording that's used there makes it really clear to Mary, makes it really clear to the people reading this, that what the angel is talking about is the Messiah that they've been waiting for. And like Zechariah, Mary's scared. She wonders, right? And, and she asks a different type of question. Remember, he said, how can I be sure this is going to come true? And Gabriel said, duh, I'm Gabriel. Just be quiet for the rest of the pregnancy, right? Remember that? But Mary asks a different question. She says, how will this be? Not how can I be sure, but how will it happen? It's a question more of how than of if. And she obviously got the idea that this was impending. It was going to happen soon. It was not going to wait until she and Joseph came together because that could have answered the question very easily, Right? It was a question seeking understanding, not a question that came for fear that, that this wasn't a legitimate act of God, but a question of wondering how. And the thing that always stands out to me most here in this, in this passage is that far different from the actions of Zechariah, we see in Mary an active embracing of the call. When she hears, when she asks, when she gets the message, she defines herself. I am the Lord's servant. And then she renders, surrenders to the call. May it be to me as you have said. May everything, as Kim read, that you have said come, come to be. You know, Zechariah has this role thrust upon him. It's not like he really has the option. Mary just embraces this call. When she says, I am the Lord's servant in Greek, it literally says, it doesn't say, I am the Lord's servant word for word. It literally says, behold, the Lord's servant. In other words, Gabriel, look at me. I'm the Lord's servant. That's who I am. And may it be according to your word is the literal Greek translation. Mary accepts all that is said, and whether she realizes it or not, she embarks on this journey that because she's surrendered to it, because she's embraced the call, is going to make her life look really different, far different than she thought it would be just a few hours before this, right? It starts right there. The text explores both, and this is for us and Mary too. It explores both what is now and what is 
coming. Some things to, to see in this text. The message to Mary and the information given in response to her question tells her what's going to happen really soon and what's going to happen way down the road in her, in, in her um, descendants' lives. And the same can be true of us as Jesus keeps coming to the world through his people until his full and final return. The, the words have meaning for us right now, right here. They also have meaning for down the road. One, one of the things that has that double edge of meaning is Mary is filled with grace. It says, Mary, you who are highly favored, some, some translations. If you grew up Catholic, I'm sure you've heard the, the Catholic prayer, Hail Mary, full of grace, right? And, and that's, it comes directly out of this passage because highly favored is the Greek word really for grace. You're, you, you are, but it, the, the verb form in it, um, is, is that it's not that she's got this grace, it's that she's received this grace, right? Sometimes um, Hail Mary full of grace can turn her into this person that has grace that she dispenses, that somehow God used her because she was so full of grace. But the idea in, in the text is, Mary, you, you have received grace. You are highly favored by God, Right? It's, it's, it's not that God has need of her because she's so gracious. It's that God has chosen to use her. And once again, we have this idea, right? John's name, John the Baptist, God is gracious. And Mary, God has given grace to you. And for Mary, it's, it's hard to understand that greeting, right? She hears it, but it, it says she was greatly, verse 29, she was greatly troubled at his words. She wondered what kind of greeting this might be. And, and the point is that, that Luke is telling us in these first stories of angelic encounters that the very heartbeat of God toward his creation is of grace. And the same is true for us, right? When, when we are called, when God comes to us, we are given grace. And sometimes that's hard to hear. We're going to talk about that in a bit. But in Ephesians 1, 3 to 6, I love this, this part where Paul opens Ephesians. He says, Praise be to the God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us to be adopted as his sons and daughters through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace which he has freely given us in the one he loves. See, Mary has nothing to offer God, nothing that he actually needs from her. The point is, in that greeting, Gabriel is saying, God is giving grace to you, Mary, because he's going to use you. He's the one bringing that grace to you. And the same is, same is true for us. Like grace can, it, it can be hard to hear that God is being gracious to us. Because you know what? If we need grace, that means we need. We're needy. We don't have what it takes. We have a lack. And, and sometimes when we have a lack, when we feel weak, when we feel broken, it's actually hard to hear the words, grace be with you. I, I read a story years ago by a chaplain. He visited another lady named Mary, not this Mary, obviously. But Mary had a very different story. He wrote about it. He said he, he had read her file. He realized what had happened. She had had a, a husband who had been unfaithful to her in previous years and had transmitted uh, AIDS to her. So she 
became a victim suffering from AIDS. And obviously, when that first all started, there was so much stigma around it. And here's this innocent woman receiving stigma from people all around her, looking down on her for, for lifestyle when she hadn't done anything wrong. And it, it made her bitter. She started turning away from people. She got angry. She could not believe that God had left her in this situation. She was frustrated and angry and burned bridges of relationships all around her. And she was called, she was completely alone, really. She felt alone. She did have a daughter living in another town, but she felt alone, so she, at, the, at the hospital she was at, she called for this chaplain to come, and he came to meet with her, and she said to him, I'm lost. My life is ruined. There is no hope. And he looked around her room, and he saw this picture on her dresser in a silver frame of her daughter. And he said, who, who is that? And she said, oh, that's the one beautiful thing I have left. It's my daughter, Terry. She's really all that I have left of beauty in my life. And he said to her, he said, well, if, if Terry did something, if, if, if she disappointed you, if she did something wrong, if she cre- committed some act that, that, that you did not approve of, would you stop calling her your daughter? And she said, absolutely not. If she did something like that, she actually needs me more than before because of the trouble that she's in. Absolutely not. She'd always be my daughter. And the chaplain said, then I just looked at her and said, I, just, I want you to realize the reason I asked that question is because God has his, your picture on his dresser too. And no matter where you've been, he still loves you. He still extends grace to you. See, sometimes it's very hard for us to hear that. And a beautiful thing that comes out of this text is a reminder, we have been chosen to be these receptacles of the grace of God. Another thing Mary hears that speaks to us today and for the future is that God is present with her. Verse 28, the Lord is with you. Verse 35, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Mary's going to face the biggest challenges she could ever imagine. I mean, she's going to walk into things that at this moment she can't even conceive of. Her life is going to have huge ups and huge downs. The Sunday after Christmas, we'll talk about eight days after Jesus was born, they take him to the temple, and one of the prophecies that's uttered there says to Mary, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. I don't know what a sword piercing your soul is like, but it doesn't sound like something you want to sign up for. But the thing that holds her is that she's not alone, that God is with her in that moment. And there's something tremendously powerful about not being alone. In the Sunday School series, those of you that have been in there listening to the testimonies of different people that Carrie's led, what what a great class it's been. But one of the comments that comes up over and over is, I I realize I'm not alone in the experiences I have, in the way that I feel and the things that I'm going through. That's something tremendously powerful to know that we are not alone. And, And because of what God does here in these Advent texts when they originally happen, we will never be alone. In Matthew, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, the virgin will be with child and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means what? God with us. This transition from God out there to God with us, and eventually at Pentecost to God living within us in the Spirit. Now, it doesn't mean we're always fully aware of that, or we always know that. I'm sure there were moments that Mary was thinking, really, the Lord is with me? And I bet we all have those moments, right? But the reality is that from that first night that Jesus came, we have never been 
alone. What did he say to the disciples? Just before he ascended into heaven, and lo, I will be with you always, even unto the very end of the age. Which all flows out of this next idea in the text, that the Messiah will come and he will rule forever. The language in verses 31 to 33 is very much messianic. It's about the Messiah that was coming. Give him the name Jesus, which means God saves. He'll be son of the Most High. He'll sit on David's throne and his kingdom will will rule forever. Verse 35, it says, The Holy One born to you will be called the Son of God. There is no doubt that this is the Messiah. This is the moment that Jews have waited hundreds of years to happen. 800 years earlier, Isaiah writes or prophesies, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And here it is, of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish it. See, this is the hope that we live in, the hope that we lit the candle about last week, that not only has Jesus come and taken up his place on the throne, but even when it doesn't look like it, he's actually ruling his kingdom right here and right now. How many of you have ever had great hopes for a leader? Could be something local, could be a political leader. You thought, this guy is going to, this woman is going to make a difference. And then four years later, you're thinking, there's not much difference, right? Well, this is a deeper kingdom. This is a deeper truth here that this Jesus who has come and, and established the throne in this new kingdom that will reign forever will never end. And once again, like we said in the last couple of weeks, Very often we have to cling to the promise and not what we understand, not what we see. I love that line, pouring eyesight on our eyes that we sang, right? Because so many times we're looking at the situation and we can't see the kingdom of God there. We need the Spirit to pour eyesight on our eyes so we can actually look beyond what the circumstances are. And the reason we need to do that is because the the last thing, another thing I see in the text is surrender is the path to peace. Mary surrenders. Surrenders. That's the beautiful part of her response, right? And and she surrenders at a time that she has no idea of the implications of what's going to happen. She has no idea how it's all going to play out. But she says, I'm in. And this forever kingdom of God has very counterintuitive underpinnings, foundations. It doesn't look like we think it's going to look when we surrender. We don't know what it's going to look like. And the question is, will we let him lead us even when we don't understand? Often the pathway is hard or challenging. It's a way that we wouldn't have chosen to go on our own. But surrender is literally the pathway to peace. Many of you have heard this serenity prayer, right? I'm sure you're familiar with the first part of it. It's by uh, Reinhold Niebuhr, a theologian. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference, right? It's a prayer of surrender. What you may not have read is the rest of the prayer. (laughs) There's a whole other section. Living one day at a time, enjoying one moment at a time, accepting hardships as the pathway to peace, taking as he, Jesus did, the sinful world as it is, not as I would have it. Well, that's a line. 
taking the sinful world as it is, not as I would have it, trusting that he, Jesus, will make all things right if I surrender to his will, that I may be reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy with him forever. Well, that second part adds a depth to the first part that we don't often think of. But it's saying surrender is a pathway to peace. Paul Paul says the same thing. It's Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live. That's surrender. That means I'm done driving this bus. I've been crucified. The, The me that used to take control of this life is not there anymore. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God. Once again, comes back to that grace who loved me and gave himself for me. Mary surrenders, and it's a pathway of peace. She surrenders at that moment. She doesn't know what's coming, but it leads her for the rest of her life. Not an easy pathway, not one without challenges or difficulty, but a pathway to peace. And I want us to close looking at Mary's leadership toward peace. What does she do that actually is a leadership it gives us leadership, leads us. You know, often because of excesses in what is called worship of Mary or veneration of Mary and in some faith traditions, we're really scared as Protestants sometimes to talk about Mary. I mean, we know she was there, but we don't want to go too far to kind of worshiping her or praying to her. But, but the reality is she, she sets a supreme example. She's a leader for us in where we, where, how we are to follow. She serves as a great example about how to be a follower of God. There's a couple things I noticed. First of all, Mary lived with honesty and openness before God. Verse 29, Mary was greatly troubled at that greeting. And in verse 34, she says, how can this be? See, the one thing I like about Mary here is she's not afraid to just be Mary. She's not afraid to be greatly troubled. It's not like she's trying to hide things from the angel. When she has a question, she asks it. She's not doubting. She just wants to know. She's got this honesty and openness before God. And often, as we hold our fears and our questions that we have inside, it does nothing but stir up greater anxiety for us. We're not honest with God sometimes. We're not open about who we are and our flaws before God. And when we do that, the fears grow and our questions get larger and we feel overwhelmed. And often we get, have you ever done this? You ever had a situation where something happens and you get on a mental train that takes you six stops down the journey of how everything's going to go terrible because of this? Anybody ever, anybody ever do that? Raise your hand. Go ahead. Confession time, right? This is what's happened, but we are already over here. And, and the point is, at this point, that's where we need to be honest and open before God. What's going on? Help, whatever it looks like. We need this honesty and openness. She, she feels fear. She asks questions. Paul writes to the Philippians in Philippians 4, don't be anxious about anything but in everything. And the Greek there is a very tricky word. It means everything. 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 By prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Part of surrender, part of this pathway to peace, is this being open and honest before God with your fears, with who you are, with your mistakes. We can do that. Why? Because we've seen the grace of God is this this underlying thing that, that allows us the freedom to be totally honest. 
have a friend, many of you know him, Theodore. Used to live here. He was our custodian for a while. Theodore, from the age of about 16 to his mid-30s, was an alcoholic. He'll tell you his story. I'm not telling him anything he wouldn't tell you. But, but one of the ways that he learned by hitting the bottom, by meeting Jesus, but he learned to keep his sobriety by ruthless honesty. And I could count on three or four times a year, Theodore would knock on my door or call me on the phone, and he would just ugh, lay it out to me, something that, a mistake he'd made, something he'd done wrong, Whatever it was, he, and I, I was like, okay, buddy, and not, you know, he, some of these people just open their heart. That's what he did. But he found that that openness and that honesty brought healing. It allowed him to, to say, here, God, this is who I am. This is who I am. And God would love who Theodore was and give him the strength to continue. Often the first step on this pathway to peace of surrender is, is openness and honesty before God. The second thing I see from Mary is a clear understanding of where we fit. We often see the second part of verse 38. May it be to me as you have said. What a great prayer. But the first thing she says is, I am the Lord's servant. And servant's really kind of an easy word for that. It literally means slave. The Greek word is doulos. It means slave. So Mary says, behold, the slave of the Lord, the servant of God. Same word that Paul often used to introduce himself in Romans 1.1. Paul, a servant, a doulos of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. You see, one of the things Mary gets right is she sees where she fits in this. All of a sudden, Mary, you're highly favored. That doesn't elevate her to some exalted position. It solidifies her as a servant and a slave of God. That's her identity. To see our identity as rooted as servants of Jesus shows that we're living out of this place of surrender. Far too often we, we root our identity in what we've done and what we've accomplished and what we bring to the table. And Mary roots it deeper and says, I'm a servant, a slave of God. Great story about Sarah and John. John was the the CEO of a Fortune 500 company, very successful man. And one day they're driving through Sarah's hometown and they decide they need to stop and get some gas. And John says, I want to go get in and go get a Diet Coke because that's, that's what Fortune 500 company guys drink. Uh, so he goes in while the gas jockey pumps the gas. He pays for the gas. He buys his Diet Coke. He gets back in the car. But as he does, he notices Sarah, his wife, is in a pretty intense conversation with the gas jockey. And, and she, he, he kind of wonders about it, but then she says, see you later, Bill. And he says, bye, Sarah. And as they drive away, uh, John says to him, Sarah, who, who was that? And she says, oh, that was my first boyfriend. Can't believe it. And, and so, so John kind of, that was your first boyfriend, huh? And she says, yes. And he says, I bet you're glad you married the Fortune 500 CEO instead of the gas jockey. And she said, no, no, no. If I'd married him, he'd be the Fortune 500 company, and you'd be the gas jockey. <laughs> And I love that because the, the, the point is not the ability. The point is who you're connected to and how you're connected to them, right? And Mary says, I am the Lord's servant. That's, yes, I'm going to give birth to the Messiah, but I'm his, I'm his servant. Paul anchors it, and, and we've got to understand where we fit in this. In this calling to bring hope and peace to the world, we're the servants of God. And he may lead us into places that we don't want to go right? He doesn't consult with us 
on the plan. <laughs> hey, Jeff, what do you think you should do this week? I mean, I'll ask him. I'd like to do this, this, and this. But, but we're servants. That, we've we've got to understand where we fit. And, and being a servant implies a willingness to surrender despite the unknown. May it be to me as you have said. What Mary knows from this moment is that she will give birth to a child. His name is Jesus, and he's the Messiah. But there's everything else about her future she does not know. She doesn't know how Joseph's going to take the news. She doesn't know how her family's going to take the news. She doesn't know how her community will take the news that she's pregnant before she is officially married. She doesn't know what's going to happen to this child as he grows up. She doesn't know anything. But she's willing to surrender despite the unknown. So many pieces of the puzzle that she does not know, yet her understanding of who she is, the Lord's servant, that she's been given grace, gives her the peace she needs to continue to surrender even if she doesn't understand it. You know, so often on the spiritual journey, we do not know way, way more than we do know. Anybody feel that way? I don't know. I know I, there's more that I don't know about what God's calling me to than I do know about what God's calling me to. But that's okay. <laughs> the goal is not to know everything right now. The goal is to surrender to what you do know and to follow. Jesus is washing the disciples' feet in John 13, right? And he comes up to Peter, mouthy Peter, and he came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus replied, you don't realize now what I'm doing, <clears throat> but later you'll understand. Well, Peter can't be deterred with that. He says, no, you'll never wash my feet. And Jesus says, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Well, then, Lord, Simon Peter said, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. But I love that line, he said, Peter, you don't get it right now. You don't. But just let me do what I'm doing. Because later, you'll understand. And the, the pathway to peace is surrender. And the, the prayer that we pray as we walk along is found in these words of Mary. I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. And I, I'm going to give you a really concrete application to this. I, I want to challenge you every morning when you wake up. Maybe write it on a card by your bed. Um, write it in a dry erase marker on your mirror, but every morning as you wake up, and I'm not saying for Advent, I'd like to say for the rest of your life, why don't you start with this prayer? I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. Because that's a prayer of surrender. I don't know what's coming today. I don't know what I'm going to face. But I tell you, once once you set that tone and hold to that, when life falls apart at 3 o'clock that afternoon, okay, I'm the Lord's servant. May it be to me as he has said. It, it's a prayer of surrender. And, and I really think that, that as we move in that, that's the pathway to peace. That's why people who were uh, stoned or burned at the stake as Christians, they, they could surrender because they knew that their destiny wasn't, hin- wasn't hanging on their ability to survive, on their own physical safety. It was deeper than that. That surrender took them on this pathway to peace. And if we can let the Prince of Peace lead us, even to places we would not choose to go, we will find that he'll give us that peace that transcends all understanding. And not only that, not only will we find it and begin to taste it, we'll become these instruments through which that peace flows out to the community of hope, to the people that we interact with.
Because you see, once you've surrendered, you have nothing to lose, and you're willing to receive that grace, then it just flows through you to those around you. And my hope would be, as we come to this table too, that we would see that's exactly what God's doing. is filling us with his grace so that it can flow out into the world. Let's pray. God, we thank you for Mary, for what she did, for her willingness. Can't imagine the thoughts that were going through her head. We only know the, the things that she said that day. I just pray, God, that in the same way you would make that our prayer, that we are your servant. May it be to us as you have said. Whatever you have laid out for us today, help us to receive it. Help us to follow. Help us to surrender to the, to the, the steps that you've laid out for us today and tomorrow and the next day. And bring peace both to us and through us to the world around us. That is our prayer as, as we live in this broken world, as we heard Jake pray earlier, just this, as we sang, the darkness, the suffering, the struggle. Make us instruments of your peace, God. Help us to receive your grace, to embrace that call, to surrender our lives to you each and every day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In the Psalms it says, out of the mouths of babes you have ordained praise. And Jake said to me, why don't we let the kids do the benediction through Advent? So that is what we're going to do. Come on up, guys. Amen.